This dynamic message is brought to you by Redemption in Jesus with Marco Bravo. All right, so this morning we have titled our message, Communion, a time of blessing, not judgment. And I'm sure you agree with me that if you've been part of this church and part of our teaching for at least six months, probably more, you know that that is the case. Communion is meant to be a time of blessing for the believer, not a time of judgment. And unfortunately, sadly, in Christendom, there are many who still say, you know, that communion is a time of judgment. You know, things like, well, you better make sure that you are without sin before you partake of communion. Or make sure that you are qualified before you partake of communion. And you know, when you look at scripture, you don't see a lot of these religious, traditional uh, points of view and doctrines and how they are taught. At the end of the day, communion is given to the believer outside of the merit and performance. God gives it to us in and through Jesus. And Jesus himself is the one who instituted it when he partook with his disciples the night that he was betrayed. And so communion is designed to serve as a reminder for us, not only of Jesus and what he's done to redeem us, but also it is how we appropriate and continue appropriating all that God has provided for us in and through Jesus. It is not meant to be a time of concern, of fear, of, of you know, fear of judgment, and thinking that something is going to happen if I don't do this right. And so those, those are some of the things that we want to address today. And you know, some of the consequences, um, or at least the so-called consequences uh, that are pointed out if someone does not partake of communion unless they are properly qualified, unless you know they are without sin. And I'm thinking, who can be without sin? The best of us has sin. And so we are born into sin, and I'll show you that in a moment. So none of us have, you know, none of us can stand before God self-righteous and say, I don't have sin, therefore I can partake of communion. No. You see, communion is not about any of that, unfortunately. But also, unfortunately, the sense of that's how it's taught. I mean, praise God that it's, you know, we're going to see this today. And so oftentimes the portion that is cited to to emphasize the so-called concern about communion is 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 27 to 30. So today, we are going to read mostly from the New Living Translation. And so let's read that portion just to see why sometimes people are concerned. Sometimes believers refrain from partaking of communion. I mean, I think about me. When I was a younger, younger Christian, um, I had just received salvation in Jesus as a teenager. And, you know, then I had gone through you know, classes and discipleship classes, membership classes. I started engaging in Bible school. Uh, and then I became a leader in the church with Helena. We were leaders in the church and so forth. And we were taught that communion is something you shouldn't take lightly. We were taught that communion is something that if you don't take right, some bad things can happen to you. And so because of that, and the first time that someone read this to me, I decided, you know, it's easier for me just not to partake of communion. 
if this is the case and this is what's going to happen to me or could happen to me, then I'm just not going to do it. Because here's the thing, you know, sometimes, and uh, I know sometimes pastors who uh, try and encourage people while bringing that fear across, they would say, well, let's take a moment right now while holding the communion emblems. They will say, let's take a moment right now to examine our hearts. And if there is anything, if you have unforgiveness towards anyone, if you have any sin in your life, if there is anything in your life that you know that God shows you, they say, that you need to deal with, then deal with it right there and then. Confess it right there and then. And I'm thinking, you know, confession doesn't get you forgiven. You know, they cite to 1 John 1 9, and I'm going to teach on that sometime soon. But they cite on 1 John 1 9, you know, where if you confess your sin, well, here's the thing confession is not going to do anything for you unless there is repentance behind it. And what is repentance? If you look at the original word, it's the word for a change of mind and a change of heart. So if your heart doesn't change, you can confess it right there, but if you continue with that sin, that's not repentance. And so that confession does nothing for you. And so confession is not the quick fix to partake of communion either, because that involves repentance. It involves a change of mind and a change of heart, and it involves a change of lifestyle so that we no longer continue doing that. But even so, you know, and so this is kind of the quick fix to partaking of communion. Let's confess right now. If you have ought against another, if they're sitting near you, go to them and declare it. Now, I understand that all these things are well-meaning, but they're actually not very scriptural because what they are encouraging to us to do is to put a band-aid on a bigger problem and so supposedly qualify for communion. And that's not what it's about. But anyway, and so let's read this portion that it's cited to and let's see what, it's, what it says. Now, <laughs> I need to just caution you. It may be a little freaky at first because it's pretty strong. But then we're going to look at the context. We're going to look at everything and see why it's actually saying what it says. So here it is, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 27 to 30. So anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily, look at that, is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. That is why many of, us, of you are weak and sick, and some have even died. In other words, experienced premature death. Now look at that real carefully. It says that if you don't partake of it the way you should, then you are guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus. And it says you should examine yourself so that you don't face God's judgment. And then it seems to imply that that judgment involves weakness. In other words, your energy, just a drain in general, and sickness, and possibly even premature death. And I mean, when you consider those things, and you read that just on its own, out of context, remember what I just said, out of context, sure, no one is going to want to partake of communion, and you'll be fearful of partaking communion. 
And so I remember when I was a young man, I just, you know, I didn't have full revelation. And this is all that I understood. And this was taught to me in a legalistic way. And so that's what I would do. So, you know, for example, when the bulletin came out, the church bulletin came out once a month, for the month, I would see and look when we were going to have communion. And I'd make sure that I have an excuse not to be in church that Sunday. Not because I was a sinner, not because I felt there was something wrong. It's just, to me, the standard was perfection. And I knew that I wasn't perfect. And I thought, you know, rather than put myself on the line to face these things possibly, I'd rather just not go to church. Later on in years, as I received the wonderful revelation of the wonderful gospel of the grace of God, I've come to realize, and communion, I've come to realize that that's never been God's intention. He is actually talking about something very specific and unique here, which very often doesn't really apply to the New Covenant believer today in many situations. And so when you look at that, the first thing we need to realize is, is that in and of ourselves, we can never qualify for communion. In and of ourselves, we can never be without sin. So if all we do is look at ourselves and who we are, who we were in fallen Adam, if we look at our carnality and our human nature without Jesus, then the answer is yes, we don't qualify for communion and we shouldn't partake of communion because there's always going to be sin. And I mean, Scripture shows us that clearly. Look at Psalm 51 verse 5. David the psalmist here writes and he says, he's talking about all of us here, even though he's talking about himself, he's describing all of us here. He says, for I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. Now, you know yourself that we in the natural are descendants of fallen Adam. When Adam and Eve conceived their children, they were already fallen. And we are their descendants. This is why we don't become a sinner when we commit the first known sin. We sin because we are born into sin. The nature that we have in Adam, in fallen Adam, is fallen. It is sinful. And therefore we sin because that is our nature in Adam. And so this is why we are born sinners and we are born into sin. And then if you look at Romans 5 verse 12, it says, When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, that separation from God. So death spread to everyone. Look at that, everyone. For everyone sinned, implying that everyone sinned because they are descendants of a sinful person, of a sinful being. Me talking about Adam. So, no matter how good someone thinks they are, no matter how self-righteous they may be, when you look at it from God's perspective, without Jesus, we're all sinful, we're all born into sin, and we're all sinners in fallen Adam. That's what I'm saying. And so then look at Romans 3 verse 23. It says, For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Notice there's no exclusion there. Every single person who is human is a descendant of fallen Adam, and therefore they fall short of God's perfect standard. And therefore they are sinful. Now that's how we looked in fallen Adam, 
And that's how someone who has not received salvation in Jesus looks like to God. And so if you think about it, that's being in and of ourselves. So this is why in and of ourselves, we don't qualify for communion. And the honest truth is, is that if we were to partake of it that way, yeah, we then we'll probably face those things. But even so, there is a specific context and reason for those bad things happening to someone when they partake of communion. And I'm going to clarify that today. The point that I want to address here, that I'm addressing here first and foremost, is, is that if the qualifier is no sin, then no one qualifies. I've just shown you the scripture for that. So, you know, you can have some people sometimes can get so self-righteous. And self-righteousness doesn't make us right before God. Only righteousness in Jesus makes us right before God. And so no matter how self-righteous someone may be, they're judging themselves by themselves, not by God's standard, and they think that they qualify and they can partake of communion. You know, sometimes people think, if I just do a certain course, a certain membership thing, that I qualify for communion. If I complete these requirements, then I quote, no. According to God, none qualifies in fallen Adam. And so that, at the end of the day, no one qualifies. And therefore, we can never partake of communion if that's all we have. And so, like I said earlier, some think that confession removes sin. So just before they partake of communion, you know, they urge to confess their sin, to go and make right with people around them. But the truth of the matter is, is that confession does not remove sin. Only the blood of Jesus removes sin. Right? So confession without repentance does nothing and it means nothing. Because there has to be a change of heart, a change of mind. And there has to be an application, application of the blood of Jesus in the person's life. Then only can we partake of communion. Amen. So, by not having a good understanding of what redemption in Jesus is, many have allowed the enemy to rob them of the blessings of communion. This is why you have people who will not do it, like, like me, for example. Until I got revelation, I just wouldn't partake of, <laughs> partake of communion. I wouldn't even go to church because I just didn't want to put myself in that situation. I thought I'm just better off not doing it. And so, you know, sadly, this is how the enemy robbed from me the blessings of communion. And so, praise God for his wonderful revelation. Now, before we look at the context and we look at what exactly is being addressed here, I want to remind you of the three basic Bible interpretation, Bible understanding, Bible reading principles that I always share with you. You know, if we apply these three principles, whenever we read the Bible, whenever we're trying to understand the Bible, whenever we're trying to study the Bible, interpret the Bible, and, you know, get a, gain a good revelation and understanding of the Bible, if we apply these three key principles, we'll more than likely understand it correctly. If we don't, somewhere along the line, we're going to miss out on something. What are those three basic principles? Number one, read everything in context. Remember that Bible, uh, the chapter numbering, verse numberings were only finalized in the late 1500s. Before that, the text was read as it was written, which is a letter. It was read in context. Unfortunately, even though verse numberings help us find scripture quickly, 
Unfortunately, the downside to that is, is that people take verses out of their context and come up with all kinds of doctrines and wrong interpretations of Scripture and thus end up with wrong doctrines such as the one we're talking about today and misunderstand Scripture. So really and truly, if you want to understand something in Scripture, don't take verses out and try and understand it on their own. Read the context around it and understand it in the greater context of the Bible. Right? I mean, that would be like someone taking something you say. Let's just say you speak a whole paragraph and they take one phrase and they decide to judge you and determine you by that one phrase. Taking what you said out of context. And so it's the same thing. We do the same thing with scripture when we do that, when we take it out of context. You know, often you'll hear preachers say, how do you spell context? C-O-N-T-E-X-T. Well, if you take the text out of context, what do you end up with? A con. And ultimately, that's what we're going to get an understanding of. And we don't want to do that. So, number one, always read everything in context. So, like for example, the portion we've just read, where it says, this is why you need to examine yourself. This is why many of you are weak, sick, and will experience premature death. There is a greater context to that. If we just take it as it is, and we just take some of those verses as they are, we are going to end up with wrong doctrines, and we are going to end up with a misunderstanding of what Scripture says about communion. But if we look at the greater context, we'll gain a good understanding of who it's talking to and why it's saying what it's saying. And that's what we need to do. The second principle that we need to make sure that we apply and have in place is, is that we need to let the Bible interpret the Bible. Now, commentaries are good, external resources are great, they help us, but ultimately, you need to let the Bible interpret itself. In other words, go look up other portions, other verses, other sections where it talks about the same thing, and then read them all and study them all, look at them together, it will give you a good understanding, because what you will find is, is that the Bible will interpret itself, and it will tell you what it's actually saying. So that's the second thing. The third key principle, the third important thing that we need to keep in mind, which is probably the most important, and that is, is that we need to look at everything through the finished work of the cross. Because the Bible ultimately has one message. God loves you and He redeemed you in Jesus when your ancestor Adam messed up and fell. So He sent Jesus to, <laughs> to redeem us. So whenever you read scripture, whenever you study it, it all needs to point back to Jesus. Remember when Jesus had resurrected and the two disciples were walking on the road to Emmaus and Jesus appeared to them. They didn't realize that it was Jesus. And along the journey, what did Jesus do? He expounded the scriptures, which was the old entire Old Testament, because that's all they had then. He expounded the scriptures and how it all pointed to him. So everything in Scripture points back to Jesus. So when you read Scripture, when you are seeking to understand Scripture, you need to look at it through the lens of the finished work of the cross, if I can put it that way. Because ultimately it all has to point to Jesus. If it doesn't, more than likely we're missing something or not understanding something. So those are the three key principles. And as long as we apply those, we will always end up understanding Scripture correctly. We will always end up receiving what God intended. And we will see 
how it's actually redemptive and a blessing to us. And it's no different when it comes to Holy Communion. And so, let's look at communion. Let's look at the greater context of that portion we've just read. Alright, so 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 26 first. Here it comes. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord Himself. In other words, this is from Jesus. It's not something that I've come up with or anyone else has come up with. He says, what I received from the Lord. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, watch this, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. In other words, you are proclaiming that he died for you and as you, and you're also declaring that he is coming back for you, is what he says. So you can see there's a lot of depth and there's a lot of um, understanding there. But what I want to draw your attention to there, first and foremost, is, is that communion reminds us to keep our focus on Jesus. Because he says, do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. In other words, keep your focus on me when you partake of communion. That's what he's saying. Keep your focus on me. And then further on he says, and what I have done to redeem you. So the focus of communion is not you, your merit, your performance, your ability, your sinlessness, your this, your that, your righteousness. No, the focus of communion is on Jesus and what He has done to redeem you and me. You could say it this way, the focus should be on Jesus and the finished work of the cross to redeem you. That's where the focus should be. Amen. And also we see that that communion is the proclam <laughs> proclamation of our faith and trust in God, not ourselves. He says, do this in remembrance of me. And he says, you are announcing my death and my return. In other words, you are proclaiming that you have, have your faith and trust in me as your Redeemer and not yourself. So those are the first few things that we need to bear in mind when it comes to communion. The focus is Jesus and what He's done to redeem us, not ourselves. It is a proclamation of our faith and trust in God. In other words, I believe that you sent your Son to redeem me, and my trust and confidence is in that redemption. Not in me, my performance, my confession, my righteousness, which none could ever qualify, as we have seen. Amen. So that's where the focus of, of um, communion should be. Now, look at Romans chapter 5, verse 9. Watch what it says there. It says, and since we have been, notice, past tense, made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, He will certainly save us from God's condemnation. Now look at that real carefully. It says, you have been given right standing with God, not by your merit performance, not by your doing or not doing, but by the blood of Jesus. And because of that, you can have certainty that you will not face condemnation. Amen. 
So ultimately you see that He redeemed us. He is our Redeemer. There is nothing that we can do or not do or avoid doing that will get us more qualified before God than what Jesus has already done. This is why we can confidently partake of communion. But I know we're asking, well, what about that portion we've just read? We're studying that. We're going to clarify that now. But what I want to just remind you of there, that in Jesus, we are forgiven and justified before God. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you are forgiven and justified before God because of what Jesus has done for you, not because of what you do or don't do? Well, that's gospel truth. Amen. Praise God. <clears throat> and so communion, therefore, is not meant to be something that we should shy away from or we should be scared of because Jesus is the one who qualifies us, not ourselves. Now, is that a license to just go and do what you want? Obviously not. I mean, that's not how we express gratitude to someone who saves us. But yes, we are going to make mistakes. We are going to mess up. But that's why there is grace. There is mercy and repentance, quite honestly. Amen. So communion is something we should look forward to and partake of with confidence and trust and joy. Amen. That's what we see here so far. But I know someone is thinking, well, how do we make sense then? of the portion that you've read in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 27 to 30. How do we make sense of it then? Because it says you should examine yourself to avoid weakness, sickness, and possibly premature death. You're right. Let's have a look at the background. Let's have a look at the context now. So, first of all, we don't have time to get into it all. And I mean, I can give you a whole historical lesson on this. Josephus writes about it. Many of the early uh, church Bible scholars write about, wrote about this. In essence, what used to happen in the days of the early church is, is that they used to have what they called love feasts. Now, what a love feast in essence was, is, is that where the church, the local church that is, would get together, but they would also use that event as an outreach event. So they would invite their family, their friends, their neighbors who had not received salvation in Jesus yet. And so they would have what we call today here in Texas, in America, we call it a potluck. You know, that's where everyone brings something to share. You know, in church, we call it bring and share. Everyone brings their favorite dish, their favorite salad, you know, bread rolls and whatever else and drinks. And we all put it together and then we all enjoy a common meal. We enjoy communion together. And so that's what a love feast in essence was in the days of the early church. They would have not just church services, but they would specifically have a time when they would have a love feast and everyone would bring their favorite meal to share. And also during that time, they would use it as an outreach, but also it was during that time that they would partake of what they knew as the Lord's Supper or as we know it, communion or Holy Communion. And so that's when they would invite people to receive salvation in Jesus. So that's the background of 1 Corinthians 11. Paul has that in mind when he's writing to them. And you'll, you're about to see that. And so <clears throat> that's what's going on there. We are going to read 1 Corinthians 11 verses 17 to 34. But we are going to leave out verses 23 to 26 that we've already read. Because basically what he does is he's addressing an issue. Then he talks about communion. And then he continues addressing the issue. And so 
for us to better understand the issue that he's addressing in context, we need, we need to omit the section on communion for now so that we understand the context of the entire portion, actually. I trust that that made sense. So let's have a look at it. Let's begin with 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17 to 19 first. <clears throat> You'll see that this is talking about the love feast. Watch what he says. But in the following instructions, I cannot praise you. So this is a subtle rebuke. It's a subtle, he's reproving them, basically. He says, I cannot praise you, for it sounds as if more harm than good is done when you meet together. Now you'll see that he's talking about the love feast in a moment. And he says, there's more harm than good being done when you do this. Watch what he says next. Remember, this is the context of the portion on communion and the warnings. He says, first, I hear that there are divisions among you when you meet as a church. And to some extent, I believe it. But of course, there must be divisions among you so that you who have God's approval, in other words, approval in Jesus, in other words, who are born again, will be recognized. In other words, not everyone who said they were a believer was an actual believer. And we have that today in society. Many people profess Christ as Lord, profess Jesus as Lord, but their lifestyle, their words and their actions don't back it up and don't show it. You see, it's one thing to profess. It's another thing to possess. We need to possess redemption in Jesus, not just profess it. And so that's what he's talking about here. He's talking about, yeah, there are all of you, most, all, most of you wear the label Christian, but some of you really are not. And so it is these divisions that reveal who really is born again, who really has received salvation in Jesus. Because if they had, they wouldn't go around causing division, especially in the church, is what he's saying. And so divisions reveal who is truly born again. In essence, that's what he's saying. And so you can see from that too that their conduct was the reason why these gatherings were doing more harm than good. So what Paul is doing there is he's pointing to their conduct during those meetings, during those love feasts, which would include the partaking of communion. And he's basically addressing and saying, it is your conduct during those meetings that does more harm than good. So you can see it's very specific in context addressing that scenario. So now let's continue reading verse 20 to 22. He says, when you meet together, watch this, you are not really interested in the Lord's Supper. So you can see he's talking about communion now. And it's all still in context. And he says, for some of you hurry to eat your own meal without sharing with others. As a result, some go hungry and while others get drunk. Well, imagine that. Imagine if in a church service we were trying to partake of communion and we were having a potluck at the same time, and some people bring their meal, and they eat it up as quick as they can, so they don't have to share it with anyone else, and then others just take advantage of all the drink that's available, and they get drunk. And now they're about to partake of communion. Can you see where this is going, and why Paul is addressing this? Then he says, verse 22, What? Don't you have your own homes for eating and drinking? Or do you really want to disgrace God's church and shame the poor. 
In other words, they also invited the poor so they can help them receive redemption in Jesus through offering them a meal. And he says, and what you are doing is you're bringing disgrace to the community of believers, but also you are shaming the poor because they come there expecting something and they end up getting nothing but your crumbs because you ate it all up. You acted like a bunch of gluttons is basically what he's saying. He says, what am I supposed to say? Do you want me to praise you? Well, I certainly will not praise you for this. So you can see that Paul is addressing a specific scenario, <laughs> a specific situation, and he's basically rebuking them. He's correcting them for the lack of a better word. And that's the context of that cautionary portion that is often cited to and used. If you don't have this, you know, if you, if you haven't done this, don't partake of communion. You can see that the context is very specific and something that is differently applicable to us, if you will, if I can put it that way. So their conduct, as you see here, was dishonoring and inconsiderate. And the truth is, is that he says you have lost value of communion, the true value of communion. You no longer have respect and honor for the partaking of communion or the Lord's Supper. That's what he's addressing there. So you can see that this church just lost sight of the importance of communion. And also, as I said, he rebukes them. But notice that his emphasis on that rebuke is their conduct and behavior during that specific time. Now, in the next portion, which we're not going to read, we've already read it, he then goes and re-emphasizes what communion is about and how they should partake it where Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. So we're going to omit that for now because we want to continue with the context of the actual issue of the meetings, the gatherings that he's addressing, the love feast here. So let's continue now with verse 27 to 30. Watch what he says. This is still part of the same context, and it's the Bible interpreting the Bible. And we're going to look at everything through the lens of the finished work of the cross in a moment. He says there, So anyone who eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord Watch this. Unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. So there you see that the unworthily has to do with their conduct or behavior. Right? He says, that is why you should examine yourself. See that? Before eating the bread and drinking the cup. So in terms of what is he saying in examine yourself? In the way they were partaking it at that point in time. And their conduct and behavior. And how they were behaving and how they were treating communion during that love feast, right? They were making gluttons of themselves, and they were getting drunk, and they were not considering the outreach, those that they reached out to. That's what he's talking about. He says, you should examine yourself before doing that. Then he says in verse 29, For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, see that? You are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. In other words, God takes it personally, when your behavior and your conduct, when you partake of communion, is not one fitting of what you are commemorating. That's what he's saying. He says, you're eating a judgment upon yourself. That is why, so that's the reason why. It's dishonoring and not having respect and honor for the partaking of communion. He says, that is why many of you are weak and sick and some have even died. In other words, when you don't honor what the finished work of the cross has done and what Jesus has done for you, you open yourself up to those things because you are not 
honoring it, you're not appropriating it, you're not treating it with a proper honor and respect, is what he's saying. So you can see that the context here is very specific, but yes, it is applicable to us because we should have a good attitude. We should have a good honoring reverential approach to communion, right? The other thing that we saw there is he says, whoever drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily. Notice, he says unworthily. He doesn't say whoever drinks this cup who is not worthy. He doesn't say that. He says whoever drinks this cup unworthily. There's a difference between being unworthy and doing something unworthily. Now the word unworthily is an adverb. In other words, it changes the verb. It gives it a different meaning or application. It's not a noun. And the reason why I'm saying that is because when you say you are doing this unworthily, it's talking about your actions. But if I were to say you are unworthy, I'm talking about you as the person, your state of being. And Paul is not addressing the state of being here. He's addressing their conduct, what they are actually doing at that point in time. Why? Because in Jesus, they are worthy. We all are. We don't get the worthiness because of something we do. We get that worthiness because of what Jesus has done to redeem us. So we're always worthy before God. But as worthy before God in Jesus, we can do unworthily things. And that's what he's addressing here. He's saying, your conduct is unbefitting someone who is worthy before God. You could put it that way. And so he's talking about the manner in which the person partook of communion and not the very person themselves. Now, the NIV does a great job of actually showing, it, showing that to us real clearly. So watch us. Let's read that uh, verse 27 from the NIV. He says, So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord, watch us, in an unworthy manner, will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Can you see it's the manner, not the person themselves? And this is why when someone says to you, you need to qualify, you need to make sure that you are fitting for this, they, they're questioning your worthiness before God. In other words, they are telling you that you are not worthy before God in Jesus. They're telling you that what He did to redeem you is not enough. And that's incorrect. Everyone who receives salvation in Jesus is worthy before God. They are worthy to partake of communion. But what we need to watch is our attitude, our conduct, our behavior at the specific point in time when we partake of communion. I mean, I've been in, in hospital rooms where someone was literally on their deathbed, deathbed, a bed, I'm sorry, and they asked, Pastor, can you help me partake of communion? They could hardly move, they could barely swallow, and I served them communion and the cup, and I have seen God do a wonderful thing. Now, if you want to get religious about it or strict about it, you would say, well, that person shouldn't be partaking of communion. They're lying down. They're on a bed. They're not even doing it themselves. Well, you see, the thing is, it's about the attitude of the heart. It's about reverence and honor in the heart. Amen. Just like many of us today, I'm not sure how you're going to partake of communion. But one thing I hope and I know is, is that in your heart, you have reverence, respect and honor for what you're about to do. You don't treat communion with contempt because that's what these people were doing. 
And that's what he's warning them about. He's saying, if you treat us with contempt, and in their specific case, they were being gluttons, they were, they were getting drunk, they really had no moral compass and respect and honor for the things of God in partaking of communion. And he says, that is going to lead you to experience weakness, sickness, and early death. It wasn't about, you know, not being forgiven for your sin because you are in Jesus. It wasn't about being worthy before God because you are in Jesus. It specifically deals with the manner in which we take it, as we've seen it from the NIV. And so Paul is talking about the conduct of the person, not the state of the person. Amen. And I mean, when you think about it, in Jesus, we are worthy and accepted before the Father. Not because of what we do or what we don't do, because He made us righteous. He made us holy. He made us acceptable before the Father. Can I have an amen? Let's have a look at that real quick. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, from the Amplified. This is the Amplified Classic, I think. It says, But it is from Him, that's God, the Father, that you have your life in Christ. That's Jesus, Christ Jesus. Watch this. Whom God made our wisdom from God. In other words, revealed to us a knowledge of the divine plan of salvation previously hidden, manifesting itself as. Then also God made Him our righteousness. So who's our righteousness? Jesus is our righteousness. So we are right before God because of what Jesus has done to redeem us, not because of what we do or what we don't do. Thus making us upright and putting us in right standing with God. And then also God made Him our consecration, it says. In other words, making us pure and holy. See, you can never make yourself pure and holy by what you do or what you don't do. Otherwise, you wouldn't need Jesus. It's because we cannot that we need Jesus. So you have been given right standing with God because of Jesus. And you have been given holiness before God because of Jesus. And then it says God also made him our redemption. In other words, providing our ransom from eternal penalty of for sin. So you can see from that. That in Jesus, we are worthy, accepted before God, because we are loved by God. Amen. So it's not, there's no reason for us to question, do I qualify? Am I without sin? In Jesus, you are. And that's all that matters. But what, is, what Paul is addressing here, the bigger picture that he's addressing is, make sure that when you partake of communion, you understand what you are remembering what you are commemorating and what you are honoring and respecting when you partake of communion. Because what Jesus has done, who else would do for you and me? And He gave His life for you and me. Do we really want to partake of communion drunk, making a glutton of ourselves, treating it like it's just nothing, you know, not giving it thought and just gulp and chew and swallow? No, we want to connect with what communion is. We want to remember it is Jesus who redeemed me. It is what He did that sets me free and gives me righteousness and holiness. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I honor you. I reverence you. And by partaking of this, I understand and appreciate what you did for me. By drinking this, I understand you cleanse me completely from your sin. It is a love and appreciation and maintaining that love and appreciation for what He's done for us. Amen. Wouldn't you agree that that's important to God? I mean, have you ever done anything for anyone and it took great sacrifice for you to do it, only to find out that the person you did it for has no appreciation, they actually treated it like trash, 
they had they just blew it off and you know spoke negatively to other people about it and yet it took so much for you to get it and it took so much for you to give it to them and they just had no regard for it doesn't that hurt you doesn't that make you question whether that person has any form of value for someone else's sacrifice and i mean that's a small comparison to what god has done for us in and through jesus amen i mean you and i should be so forever grateful and we are for what he's done for us and we get to show that respect and honor when we partake of communion which is the real thing that he's addressing here let's continue with our context verse 31 and 32 watch this he says but if we would examine ourselves notice now this is all in context of at the point in time of before partaking of communion and having the right conduct and the right approach to communion. He says, if we would examine ourselves, we would not be judged by God this way. In other words, we won't face the consequence of not honoring and respecting what the Lord has done for us when we partake of communion. Yet, when we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned along with the world. In other words, <laughs> what that is saying to us is that God isn't judging us into damnation, but rather He is training us. He is helping us to get our attitude and our conduct right um, so that we don't experience the things that the unsaved would experience, so that we wouldn't experience weakness, sickness, and premature death. So God doesn't damn us. He actually, when He sees we need help with our conduct and behavior, with how we partake of communion, He involves Himself to help us change that like any good parent would. That's what he does. He doesn't damn you, as some people will tell you. He helps you get it right. And so if we maintain a good reverential attitude towards communion, God won't, help to, won't have to help us get it right. I think about my daughter. You know, we train her, we teach her certain things, we treat her to have a, a, a treat. <laughs> we teach her to have a moral compass, a good conscience, to be, you know, to have good human relations skills, to get along well with people as best as she can, you know, never to be malicious, not to be an evil person. And, you know, we watch her as she goes through life. And when we see that perhaps she falls short or doesn't quite get something right like she should to be the quality of person that we believe God wants her to be, then we get ourselves involved and we help her with that. Very often times she comes to us and she says, you know, mom and dad, or speaks to us individually, and says, I've faced this and this happened. And we walk her and we coach her through those scenarios to help her rise above the situation, you know, to be greater than those who try to tear her down. And so as parents, we do that. And many of you who are parents know what I'm talking about. How much more will God do that with us and for us? When He sees us, not having the kind of attitude, the kind of approach, the kind of honor and reverence we should have toward communion, he's going to get engaged to help us change that behavior. That's what he's saying here. He's not saying he's going to damn you and he's going to give up on you and just, you know, uh, declare you off and send you off to hell. No, he loves us too much. He's done too much to redeem us. And so, but he will get himself engaged to help us, which is what we've just read right there. You see, so it's not the worthiness of the person that is in question. It is the manner in which the person partakes communion that is in question. And that's what Paul is addressing here. 
So when we partake of communion, we need to make sure that we do it with the utmost respect and honor. However that looks for you. But remember, it all begins in the heart. I mean, I think about church. You know, when we are gathered and we partake of communion, and I'm not saying everyone should do it, and I'm not trying to devalue anyone else, but I have seen in our church services some people, and, and we partake of communion every Sunday, as you know. And so I have seen some folks that, you know, sit up straight in the chair and they want to make sure that they, are, they look as honorable as they can. And it's a posture of the heart. And I've seen other folks who will stand up and they will partake of communion to show their respect and honor for the things of God. And that's all a blessing. I've also seen others just sit there reverently and quietly and just partake of communion. And what I'm saying is, is that it's the general attitude of the heart. It's a blessing to see that because you see that people reverence God. And you know, there's been once or twice where I have seen just disregard for communion. I've seen people just kind of gulp it and treat it like it's a drink at a bar. I've seen people just take the bread and look at it and, you know, but I don't want to judge. I mean, I don't know what's going through their mind, but I think God sees it and He knows it. And this is why we need to approach it that way. Amen. And so, like I said, we need to partake of it with the utmost respect and honor, which is what Paul is addressing here. Now, let me point out something else as we come to a closing here, kind of a closing. It does not say that God uses weakness, sickness, or premature death to help us have a good attitude or approach toward communion. Because in the beginning when I spoke about it, unfortunately many religions, many places that preach a legalistic gospel do that. They give the impression that God uses weakness, sickness, and early death you know, to help us correct our attitude and to teach us our lesson. And I'm thinking, if someone dies early, what lesson have they learned? <laughs> it makes no sense, right? You see, ultimately, what that's talking about and what Paul is pointing out is, is that this is cause and effect. In other words, if you don't honor the partaking of communion, it's going to have an effect. And the effect is, is weakness, sickness, and possibly early death. It's like, you know, if I were to say to you, don't put your hand on the hot plate. I mean, I remember when I was a little boy and we had just gotten an oven, uh, electric oven, and that's how old I am. Um, and my mom, you know, she learned and taught herself how to use it and she figured out how the settings work. And as a little boy, all I would see is these, these dark circles that when she turned the switch, they would go bright red. So in my mind as a little boy, all they did was change color. I didn't realize that they were dangerous. And when my mom saw me the first time looking at this, she said to me, son, do never, never ever touch the, the, this spiral when it's red. Because it's hot, it will burn you. And I did not understand the concept of burn. And as a boy, I was nosy and I wanted to see. So when she told me, don't do it, my human nature told me, do it, you know, like most of us are, because we don't like being told what to do. That's just the carnal nature. And so when she wasn't watching, I went and I touched it with my four fingers. And guess what? I experienced a burning sensation. I started boiling my eyes out, crying. 
And before you know, there were blisters and I had to go through all kinds of treatment. And I remember her being angry with me and saying, I told you not to touch it. Why didn't you believe me? You see, that was cause and effect. She told me not to do it. I did it and I experienced the consequence of it. Can I blame my mother for it? Can I say she judged me and she did that to me? No, it's the same thing with what Paul and God really saying to us here. This is that if you don't treat and approach Holy Communion in, an, in a reverential way, in an honoring way, the effect is going to be weakness, sickness and premature death even because you're not honoring what can actually offset all those things for you. Did I hear what I just said? You actually are doing the opposite of what offsets those things for you. And that's in essence what he's saying. So then let's continue reading verse 34, uh, 33 and 34. All part of the context. He says, So my dear brothers and sisters, when you gather for the Lord's Supper, there it is. In other words, when you gather to partake of communion, wait for each other. If you are really hungry, eat at home so you won't bring judgment upon yourselves when you meet together. I'll give you instructions about the other matters after I arrive. Praise God for an apostle such as Paul, who had a heart for people, who had the heart of God and imparted the heart of God. And you can see, he's talking to brothers and sisters. He's talking to the bread. He's talking to the church. And he, by no ways is he saying that, that they've lost their salvation now, that they are doomed and they are gone. No, this is just a heart of a spiritual leader bringing correction to the people and saying, partake of communion the way you need to. The reason why you would experience those things, the reason why some have experienced those things is because they've lost the heart and the reverence and the honor for communion because they've lost the understanding and the meaning of communion. Now, I'm not sharing this with you because I think any of us are in that position. But this is a message to help us all maintain that and encourage us in that because when we do that and when I know that we do that as a church, we can then expect the wonderful blessings that flow. Because remember I said earlier, when we partake of communion with honor, respect, and reverence, then literally what it does is it offsets weakness, sickness, and early death. And we want to experience that, don't we? This is why we're sharing this today. But I do want to expand on that a little bit. So let's have a look at that again. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 30. Remember we read this? It says, That is why many of you are weak and sick, and some have even died. Now, now that you understand the greater context, and it's talking about you know, the, the manner in which they partook of communion, you can see from this that it is not God's desire for us to experience weakness, sickness, or premature death. He says, this is why, because you're not honoring it, this is happening to you. Meaning that, or implying that if you do honor it, you offset these things. You're not going to experience weakness in your body, weakness in your nature, weakness emotionally, weakness psychologically. You are not going to experience sickness. You're going to offset it. But also, you're going to enjoy the long good life that God has provided for you. So those are the wonderful benefits and blessings of communion that he mentions here. And so you can see that it's not meant to be a time of judgment of doom and gloom, it's meant to be a time of blessing where we receive these wonderful blessings. And so, if partaking of communion in an unworthy manner causes weakness, sickness, and early death, then partaking of communion in a worthy manner offsets weakness, sickness, 
and premature death. Amen. So we should run to communion and say, Father, you know, I've been feeling a little weak lately. I've been feeling perhaps, you know, sickness has tried to attack me. And I want to have and enjoy a long, good life. When you partake of communion, remember you are offsetting those things. And the blessing of the finished work of the cross is being just flooded upon you more so. Amen. Praise God, praise God for that. You see, this is why communion is a time of blessing and not judgment. I trust that that made sense today. Let's end with 1 Corinthians 10 verse 16 from the Living Bible. Watch what it says. When we ask the Lord's blessing upon our drinking from the cup of wine at the Lord's table, this means, doesn't it, that all who drink it are sharing together in the blessing of Christ's blood. You see, His blessing of His blood. What has His blood done? It's washed us clean from all sin. Past, present, future. Total forgiveness of sin. So when you partake of that cup, of that juice, you are remembering, I am forgiven of all of my sin because of the blood of Jesus. What a wonderful benefit. And when you are forgiven, there is no consequence to follow because you are literally without sin because of Jesus. Amen. Then it says, And when we break off pieces of the bread from the loaf to eat there together, this shows that we are sharing together, it says, in the benefits of His body. What has His body done? Whipped for our sin. He was bruised for our iniquities. He took our transgressions upon Himself. Amen. Again, it talks about forgiveness. It talks about health and wholeness. Praise God. And those are the wonderful benefits and blessings of partaking communion. Amen. Now, I trust that that made sense to you today. And it's a wonderful reminder for us all. Amen. So with that, having said all that, let's partake of communion today. Amen. We have the bread, we have the juice, it represents His body, it represents His blood. Amen. Aren't you glad that you have been forgiven of all of your sin because of the blood of Jesus? Amen. Do you realize that the, your judgment, the, the judgment you would ever face already took place? It took place at the cross when Jesus said, it is finished. At the cross you were judged for all of your sin. Now, someone may say, well, what about the judgment seat of Christ? Go read it again. Look at it in the original. The word judgment is not in the original. It is the seat of Christ. It is a reward ceremony for the believer. It's not judgment. Because all your judgment already took place on the cross because of the blood of Jesus. And then, when He took upon him, on His body the whipping, the punishment, the piercings, and all of that, He did it for our health and wholeness. And those are the blessings of the cross. Amen. So today, let's posture our hearts with honor, with reverence. And it's not about necessarily the position, but you do what you feel is the best way. That's fine. But more than anything, let's reverence our Father and thank the Lord Jesus for what He's done for us. Amen. So let's take the bread and say this together. Say this with me. Father, I thank you today. For the body of Jesus, given for me, Lord Jesus, thank you for taking 
all of my punishment upon yourself. You gave your body to save me, to redeem me. Thank you for dying for me. And thank you for dying as me. Today, I remember my focus is on you and what you've done to redeem me. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's partake of the bread. Thank you, Father. Now let's hold the juice and let's say this together. Father, thank you for the blood of Jesus. Your very own blood shed for me so that I may be forgiven of all of my sin. Thank you for taking my judgment upon yourself. And Lord Jesus, today I remember what you've done for me. I remember you. My focus is on you. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's partake of the juice. <laughs> praise God, praise God. What a beautiful anointing. I can sense it now. I trust that you sense it too. If you don't, just close your eyes for a moment. Raise your hands. And I'll speak it over you right now. Get ready. It's going to come now. I speak it over you in the name of Jesus. There it is. <laughs> it's so beautiful. It's awesome. There it is. Mm. I sense some wonderful things happening. Some of you have been trusting God for a healing touch. It's just happened. It's happening right now. Some of you have just experienced things and you feel like you needed a, maybe like, felt like a cleansing, like a freeing. I sense that happening right now in Jesus' name. I sense that someone has had issues with infection. I, I keep hearing lungs in my spirit. He's setting you free right now in the name of Jesus. There's someone who's been concerned about a loved one. They've just been through um, some form of procedure. I sense God is touching them right now. And He's touching you right now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. I sense a need for healing in terms of relationships. There's someone with a relationship. You've been concerned about it. It's been a weight on you. I sense God healing it right now. In the name of Jesus. We trust that you are blessed by this message. For more information about our ministry or to make a donation to help us continue spreading the gospel, please visit our website at redemptioninjesus.com. Dot com.